This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. Ladies and gents, welcome to another show from Paint to Purpose. Today we have a special guest, Greg Besner. Greg is a uh, entrepreneur, adjunct professor, author, speaker, consultant, um, Shark Tank star. And uh, Greg, thanks for coming on the show and taking some time today. Yeah, thank you. It's very flattering to be invited and even more flattering that you and your management team have have uh, studied my book and I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, the book, The Culture Quotient. And um, there's some high-level strategy in there as well as applicable um, kind of in-the-dirt nitty-gritty things, actionable steps is the word I'm looking for. Um, just to get started though, Greg, maybe what was the inflection point for when you realized this is something that you want to study and pursue? Yeah, so great question, Danny. So the, you know, I have a, uh, a varied background, as you mentioned, I'm an adjunct professor teaching business and entrepreneurship, and I've founded four different companies and, and three of them were not in the culture space. So it's often a question, why culture? Um, so it's it's uh, interesting. My I didn't expect to go into the culture industry when I did, but what ended up happening was uh, I was an, an early investor in Zappos.com, which uh, you and your listeners are probably familiar with. With that story, it was obviously it's the uh, it's a great success story, a multi billion dollar company that really focused on shoes, but they really built the brand and built the company based on its on on a very quirky culture on purpose on mission and values and when Zappos started in 1999 there were some other companies focusing on culture uh, but it was not uh, like today every company recognizes they have to have a high performance culture to be able to recruit and retain the best talent but 20 25 years ago the companies that were fo- so focused on culture were really more the exception than the norm Every company has a culture, but to really curate it and and focus on it as a strategy as opposed to uh, just letting it happen uh, is more of a a recent occurrence. So when I was involved in Zappos as an investor and a consultant, uh, I I saw how culture really inspired the employees, uh, wowed the customers, and even, uh, in my case, uh, made the investors really a part of that journey. And I brought culture into my leadership style. I was the, the CEO and founder of another company at that time. And, and as I started to think about my own career journey, uh, I knew culture would be an important part of my management style. But at some point I said, well, culture, why don't I make culture my next, uh, you know, my, instead of making it part of what I do, why don't I make it my career? Why don't I make it my company, my next company? And because I recognized that so many other organizations were starting to have that light bulb moment that if they could really curate and manage their culture, understand it and, and, and manage it, uh, then they could have that high re- retention and, and uh, successful recruiting of top talent. Uh, so that was, gosh, well, I mentioned 1999, I was involved in Zappos until, until it was sold to, to Amazon. And then for a few years after, I continued to, to be involved day to day, uh, well, quarter to quarter, I should say. Uh, and that's how Culture IQ, that was the genesis. And anyway, I'll stop there because that's, uh, that yeah. is truly the, 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 my entry point. 
I got two questions. One, I mean, it must have been an incredibly exciting ride to be part of that Zappos journey. What was that like? Yeah, so it's it's funny when when Zappos first won uh, best place to work. Uh, I think Fortune magazine has its annual best place to work, and in two thousand, I think around two thousand four, two thousand five. The funny thing is, uh, Tony Shea, the um, you know, unfortunately passed away, but uh, he was obviously a famous CEO of Zappos for twenty years. And he uh, called me uh, from Las Vegas and said, "Can I go look at the newsstand for this for this copy of this magazine?" And just think about that today. Everything is online. Everything is digitized. But Fortune magazine, only eighteen years ago, uh, he wanted me to go look on a newsstand for for an early edition because there really wasn't access, right? So, so just like culture was uh, the exception versus the norm back then. You know everything. You know there really wasn't the same level of opportunity to even communicate. Uh, so we'll get into that. You know how how culture management works. But so yeah. So culture. Uh, that was just I guess a little side story. Uh, it was an amazing ride watching Zappos go from uh, from selling uh, a few shoes online to gosh in in, in its tenth at its tenth anniversary. Uh, let's see, two thousand. And it actually, ninth anniversary it hit a billion dollars in sales, and when Zappos was started, people thought, you know, who would buy shoes online, right? You want to try them on, you want to sort of go outside or go on a treadmill and run in them, and you know, Zappos really had some very good foresight, and that was uh, let's pe- let people, you know, it's easy to ship. Uh, Express, FedEx, you, yeah, FedEx uh, was the primary. Uh, partner at the time, and let's let let's encourage people to buy as many as they need to try them on, different sizes, different styles, and and we'll take them back. And that became, although that sounds expensive, uh, it was incredible marketing. People would not have to go drive to the mall, find parking, go to a store that maybe had you know a limited selection because the stock room is only so big. Zappos could be incredibly wide and shallow as opposed to deep in, uh, you know, deep in a few styles. So you could find what you're looking for. You could try it on and you could return it. And often customers were wowed by they'd order it and the next day it would show up, right? They would upgrade their customers and then people would word of mouth. People would say, Oh, I just ordered and got here the next day and I didn't have to pay for shipping. And then and I was able to return it in sizes I didn't like. So it was really, uh, ahead of its time. It was a, uh, it, there was no big, uh, marketing influencer, right? That sort of took the company to the next level. It was really just this strategy of of wowing their customers and inspiring their employees. And culture was was a huge part of that. Yeah. Do you think that company succeeds without its culture of how you know it's it's unique culture? Well, there there are a lot of great examples of of companies that turn out have turned out to have very challenging environments, very toxic environments, but maybe they had an incredible product. Right. Mm. And you can, there's examples, uh, and there's examples of founders and CEOs that are incredibly challenging to work for, but they've created some of the most incredible products. Right. Uh, mm. uh, Steve Jobs is an example, right? A genius, a product genius. Um, but from the biographies that I've read, I never met him when he was alive, but the biographies I've read, he was uh, a challenging personality, uh, both professionally and personally. Uh, but he created an incredible company. So, so there's a question, right? Do, do you have to be this sort of purpose, mission-driven, you know, 
friendly CEO or can you be uh, a CEO of the people? And uh, and I think there's a huge spectrum and, and it just really, every every single organization has, is unique in its culture. Mm-hmm. It's like a, like a fingerprint. And the important thing is to really uh, understand your own culture. And if it's not the culture you feel is competitive for your industry and for your organization, then you need to f- find a way to, uh, to transform your culture. Uh, so I can't answer your question uh, uh, whether Zappos would have been as successful if it didn't have its core values and its purpose and its, and its uh, focus on inspiring its employees and, and wowing its customers. Um, but intuitively, I would tell you, yes, it was an, an enormous part of the success. The, the publicity uh, that, that the company received as a result of that, right? They were paying for traditional marketing as much other than some digital marketing. But I mean, the next thing you know, the company's on, on national news. And I remember uh, Oprah did a special and, and uh, The Apprentice, you know, Tony Shea was one of the, one of the judges. And, and so you, the next thing you know, the company, because of this quirky, unique culture had a, uh, and I mentioned Fortune Magazine, I think it, it won best place to work. Once it was on that list every year for the next six, seven or eight years, it was uh, a staple on that list. You mentioned how back then it was more of a um, he was more of a pioneer in this type of leadership style. Where do you see it today? Is it something that people talk about but don't really live it out, or are are people, are companies really living it out? Or I guess from your perspective, where are we? Yeah, well, it's it's really twenty years makes a a big difference, and it's just amazing. Every leadership conference you go to regardless of the industry, you know, culture is always on the agenda, right? And think about the conferences you've been to. Or can you think of any conference you've been to, no matter how technical of an industry or how specific an industry, there's always some culture-related topic, a culture guru. Uh, and so today, it's it's no longer a nice-to-have or or something that is a, uh, an, an exception. Uh, it is sort of the norm. And it's table stakes, right? If you do not focus on your organizational culture and you, for this, for recruiting and retention and, and, uh, and really have values that uh, as a roadmap for your organization, uh, you'll struggle, especially in such an environment where, where everything is so transparent, right? Whether it's employees leaving, uh, leaving feedback about their company on Glassdoor or LinkedIn, whether it's, uh, customers leaving leaving feedback, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> feedback about your service or your product, um, and even people leaving feedback about their recruiting experience. Mm. Right, so it's right down to the re- recruiting manager. Right, sending not responsive or sending something that too terse or not or rude or it, it's just it, it, you can't hide any longer. Right, you uh, you can't just have a great product or service. You need to. You need to be a uh, really work on being a, a great organization and having great people. I'm curious what your thoughts are about maybe some of the bigger. I know a couple of my friends when they graduated college went into accounting or even some consultants, um, and they investment banking is known for this, where they really work you to the bone. It's a meat grinder, and then you kind of burn out, and it's just then the next fresh batch of, um, you know, applicants, 
would companies like that benefit from instituting some sort of culture or i mean they have a culture would they in, would they benefit from trying to retain or have they just done the numbers which i assume they probably have and they found that this is the better way to go or do you have any opinions about organizations like that well it's funny enough i i did work on wall street for for five years at a, a stint in my career so i i went through the goldman sachs training program and and as and it is very intense and but I, you know it's it's interesting i when i used to give a lot of public speeches about culture uh there was uh, one interesting part that i thought was interesting you know goldman sachs where i worked and zappos where i was an investor and a consultant they were both on the list there's 17 million organization entities uh corporate entities in the united states and and this list was i think 50 in fortune magazine and goldman sachs and zappos were the year that zappos entered that list were 10 slots apart so out of 17 million companies, Goldman Sachs, which is a hundred plus year old company. And as you said, uh, uh, can be a very challenging, you know, Wall Street itself can be very challenging training programs and, and incredible hours. Um, and of course, a reputation for a high pay, lucrative, lucrative industry, whereas Zappos at the time had its average salary was $13 per hour. And it was uh, uh, a six year old company, right? So you had a hundred, hundred year old company. Hmm. Where people are average are, are it's harder to get a job at Goldman Sachs than it is to get into into Harvard, right? Statistically, on the number of applicants, incredibly high pay. And then you have Zappos, one of the other 17 million organizations in the United States that is paying people $13 an hour and has been around for half a dozen years. Yet they're 10 slots away on this list. So I guess my point hmm. is, um, you know, it's self-selection. People uh, hmm. will apply to Goldman. I applied to Goldman because it was at, at the time I felt it was uh, one of the top places for me to learn in, in that industry. And I had uh, some success in that industry as a, as a result of people that worked incredibly hard, um, expected me to work incredibly hard, but what an incredible learning opportunity. Uh, and then my involvement with Zappos, very different uh, target employee um, but employees were working just as hard and just as excited. So it, it, it's really uh, uh, it just every industry, as I said earlier, is so different. Uh, Wall Street has that reputation, but it's self-selection, right? People often go to graduate school and, and target the, that career. And they'll either, sometimes they'll burn out, as you said, but it's typically an incredible learning experience. And they'll use that experience for another industry or they'll thrive in that environment and become one of the leaders because there's lots of success stories where people start off as a, an analyst out of college and become the CEO, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it really just, uh, it's a unique environment. It's an environment that works for that industry. And of course, there, there are some very negative stories too, which we've seen during some of the crisis and we've seen, uh, we've seen through, uh, uh, through um, uh, some less than ethical behavior, but it's not, I think, again, I think that's the exception not the norm for most of those organizations. Something that really interests me with culture is just scaling it up. And with business, I think it's a universal problem as you scale up the quality of the product or the service, it's sometimes challenging, there's a natural tension, but that also relates to culture. And um, I wanna know from your experience and from um, clients that you've worked with or just learned from 
how have people successfully scaled their business and scaled their culture? And is it is it a a one for one thing where headquarters culture should be identical to satellite office cultures? Do they have different types of cultures? Like how can you just I don't know. Yeah, shed some light yeah. on how people can do sure. that. Sure. Well, this is a great question for data, and fortunately, I've had, I've seen a lot of, I've, I've collected a lot of data and studied a lot of data on this topic. And uh, we, my, my company, Culture IQ, worked with organizations as small as twenty-five employees and as large as one hundred and twenty-five thousand employees. And what the data showed us, which is very clear is the larger the organization, the more challenging it is uh, to have a culture that is, uh, how do I say, um, a, a culture that is highly rated by everyone, right? Because the, the broader the, the, think about there are 25 people in your company and think about a 25 person company that's not virtual where everyone sits in the same office. Everyone, it's almost like osmosis. You can feel the energy in the room. You can look into each other's eyes. You can you can hear someone on the phone. You can see your you know the manager or the leader of the organization how they act. You can model that behavior. Now imagine twenty five thousand people, right? You can't hear the CEO on the phone. You can't see how everyone's acting. You can't model that behavior as easily. So it is incredibly hard to scale culture. And the data shows the larger the organization. Uh, more often than not, the more challenging it is to have a highly rated culture. Again, if you're rating it, if you're, if employees are literally rating the organization, which is typically the case when companies are measuring, measuring this. So it becomes incredibly important uh, to uh, focus on culture in every office, in every satellite office. We, we never even used the term headquarters or satellite because we never wanted wanted someone to feel like they weren't in a main office, right? So, uh, but everyone is modeling someone's behavior, right? So training is incredibly important, making sure that you're, the bigger the company, it's, it becomes even more important to articulate and then repeat your company's values, your company's purpose, your company's mission. And it can't just be words on the website or on the wall, or coming out of your mouth, it has to actually be behaviors, right? You have to determine what is the right mission, purpose, values for your organization. And then you need to live those values right from the top down, because again, it, everything is so transparent today, right? So even though you might not be sitting across from the leader of your organization, you're probably going to be hearing and seeing that leader uh, in more ways than it was ever possible before, whether it's mm -hmm. in a, a podcast, in an interview, whether it's something that's been filmed, uh, whether it's something that's been written, published. Uh, so uh, it's it becomes more and more important. Uh, and the larger the organization, well, it's important in every size organization, but it becomes even more, uh, you know, uh, you have to be even more proactive uh, for that. What I'm talking about, I guess, is communication and modeling behavior uh, becomes even more important because the data shows the larger the company, uh, the more challenging to have that high performance culture. And then if you're in, and then you could find an office in one country could be incredibly different culture than an office in another. doesn't mean it's a bad culture, just the culture evolved differently, but trying to connect that so that you have a, a um, some overlap where there's a, a common 
a, a commonality between the culture, yet allowing each office to have uh, to to adapt to its local local environment. Speaking of communication, I believe in the book you wrote how that's the number one reason for failure of a of a culture implementation or a systematic change. Um, speaking to today, where there's baby boomers in the as old as baby boomers and as young as Gen Z and I don't even know what the uh, generation is after Gen Z, but they're probably coming up pretty soon here. Um, I'm a millennial and then there's Gen X and it's like everybody communicates a little bit differently. And it seems like baby boomers are the more traditional pick up the phone um, face to face, whereas Gen Z very much. So, I mean, Snapchat uh, or Telegram or, you know, WhatsApp or whatever, choose the platform. It's less um i would say it's less personal but maybe it's not for them i don't know how have you navigated creating a culture of communication when people's communication styles are different or what would you suggest to people is it yeah just what would you yeah. suggest it's a great question because what in, you know there more and more you know no going back to what you said uh, in my book, I did highlight that communication is often the most challenging of the 10 dimensions that I, that I studied and challenging, meaning that employees uh, often rated it uh, the lowest of the 10 dimensions of a high performance culture. And that's not just the management communicating to the employees. That's also uh, the employees having the opportunity to communicate to management, right? What, and to communicate well, um, you need to understand what the mechanism is to communicate. And you would argue that with social media, with email, uh, with um, chat features like Slack or Microsoft Teams or others, with Zoom and other audio, audio and visual tools, that it would be easier than ever to communicate. But as your question sort of indicated, it's maybe more confusing than ever, especially when you have multiple generations, right? Whereas a baby boomer uh, might be uh, uh, most likely to pick up the phone and call someone. A you know a Gen Z or a millennial might prefer to receive a, an email or a text, right? And one is not right or wrong, but they are very different communication styles. So what ends up happening, especially when Slack and Microsoft Teams and, and other uh, internal corporate uh, chat solutions started to emerge, uh, what I started seeing was employees were very confused um, where to find information and where and how to deliver information. So it becomes yet another uh, uh, area that needs to be articulated around communication in the organization. You know, how are we communicating? And also externally. How are we communicating to customers? If a, if a customer goes to an Instagram account and sends the company a note, are you responding publicly on Instagram? Are you mm. sending them a personal email? Are you calling them? Like These are additional communication dilemmas and challenges uh, that a company really needs to understand because it's because it was already the most challenging 
for uh, a component of an organizational an organization's culture. Now it's even more complicated. So that's a great question, Danny, and, and it's one that companies need to to really focus on. Yes, you can you know, you can have a manager say, oh, you can. Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you text me? Why didn't you email me? Well, which one? And mm. you know, when do I? Can I do it over the weekend? Am I supposed to do this during hours? Is this a uh, if I chat, if I send you a chat, is this private? Like, will 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 someone else read it? So mm-hmm. it is an incredibly important dimension of culture, and and more challenging than ever. Even though there are more ways to communicate than ever before, and especially this multi generational uh, dynamic where different different generations have different preference for how they communicate. But what you and I would not have to uh, argue is uh, that there's more communication than ever. It's just a matter of communicating most effectively, right? Mm-hmm. People are not afraid to share their feedback. And uh, probably a generation ago, a junior person would probably never send a critical uh, comment uh, to senior management and organization. Today, uh, you know, people are feel they're expected to be giving that feedback. And and again, if without feedback, how can you improve? So very, very challenging dimension of culture and more challenging than ever, but with more opportunity than ever. Is that dynamic? Is that healthy? Or is there something to kind of that mob mentality, cancel culture of that's bleeding into now the employee workforce where certain things might be taken out of context or... Um, do you think that's a good thing that a junior person can send a critical email up the chain or it is what it is? Or, Well, you know, it's, it's a, there's no right answer to that question because some organizations would welcome it. Right. Mm. Thank goodness people are taking the time and care enough to send critical feedback. Like, wow, that's terrific. Some organizations mm. might say, how dare this this person, they haven't earned the right to provide that feedback yet. So again, it's just like every other part of culture, every organizational culture is unique. So it becomes part of selecting the company that is uh, that fits your personality, right? If you want to be in an organization where you where you have a voice and want, and you and uh, and you are not uh, and there's no retaliation or fear of providing that feedback, then you can seek that organization. If you're prefer, uh, if that's not something you care about, then maybe it doesn't become part of the criteria for the organization that you are, uh, that you're targeting for your career. And again, just as we were just talking about, there's, it's very easy to see which types of organizations you're considering between LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and Glassdoor Mm -hmm. and, and alumni networks and social media. Um, You can get a pretty good profile of an organization uh, without even working there without even interviewing there. Actually, some of the interview sites now have become very multimedia where an organization that's doing a lot of recruiting will build a profile and there'll be videos and there'll Mm -hmm. be testimonials on that website. So organizations are recognizing that all these mediums and all these types of communications exist. And and what I just described is another example of an organization taking hold of that and really curating it in a way that they can um, they can deliver that message in a way where people, where potential employees can find it. I want to ask about leadership and you've worked with a, a large variety of companies, as you mentioned, small to 
gigantic. What are the commonalities between, I guess, what, what are the traits that you've noticed or observed that you think have made successful leaders? And are there any patterns that you've recognized in leaders that have created toxic cultures or challenging places to work? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a hard question, right? Because there's so many, every single leader has their own style. Uh, so it's a very hard question to answer and say, here are the traits of a successful leader, but I'll just tell you what has worked for me uh, because, again, there's no right answer. So one is uh, for me, and again, this doesn't work for everyone. For me, it's always been about servant leadership. I don't know if you've heard that term, but whereas just like your customers are your focus, your employees are your focus, right? You're working hard for your employees as opposed to uh, always expecting your employees to be working hard for you. Sort of that mentality, to me, uh, the other leaders that I've that I've enjoyed getting to know have that sort of servant leadership mentality. So that's one. Uh, a second is really understanding uh, your area of, of focus. For me, in the companies that I've been been a leader. Uh, I've always recognized the three areas that I wanted to focus so, and, I've, and it won't surprise you because I've talked about some of these themes. So one is, and not in, not in order of priority, but customer relations, employee relations, and investor relations, right? So it's customer relations, making sure your customers are feel served, employee relations, making sure your employees feel served, and investor relations, making sure that all the stakeholders, all the shareholders, and when I say investors, it could be it can be vendors, it, you know, that are investing their their time and resources. It can be uh, it can be literally investors for a public company. It could be shareholders, uh, and so those are the three things that I've focused on. Other leaders have focused uh, on other things. I think self awareness, uh, because I think some leaders are very self aware and they recognize uh, their strengths, and uh, and it's also very important to recognize your your weaknesses. Um, some leaders that maybe not be self-aware and have challenges, maybe it's challenges with the way they communicate or they don't communicate enough or they communicate too much or their style or their tone. And again, that's where the self-awareness comes in, uh, right? Everyone needs to be coachable, right? Whether no matter who senior, how senior you are, everyone reports to someone, right? So who is coaching you? Is it, if you're the CEO, is it the board of directors? If you're the CEO, is it an executive coach? If you're the CEO, is it a peer network? Like, how are you growing? Uh, and I guess that brings us to another topic. The world is changing so quickly and industry is changing so quickly. If you're not learning, if you're just relying on, on your skills and knowledge from the, from, that have led you to where you are today, uh, then you're going, everyone's going to, going to be passing you, right? Because there's, new, there's uh, new paradigms, right? And new, uh, whether it's communication paradigms or technology paradigms, or service paradigms, or whatever the case, uh, you have to be uh, continue, continuously learning. So if a leader, so just to summarize, if a leader is, uh, and just in my experience, if you have this, this servant leader mentality where you're serving your customers, your shareholders, and your employees, if you're self-aware or having or asking for people to help you become more self-aware, uh, if you're coachable because you need to be learning uh, because the world is changing so quickly, 
And this back to the uh, other topic we discussed, communication, like really figuring out uh, the best way to communicate, the, the cadence of your communication, uh, and, and the, um, I guess the, the overall style of that communication. I hope that's helpful. Again, it's, it's, it's like culture. Every single leader is different, uh, but always recognize that your team is modeling your behavior, right? If you tell people, hey, be nice to customers, uh, customers always right, and then they hear you on the phone screaming at a customer or hang up on someone, right? They're going to model your behavior regardless of what you say. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.